0: The TV fans are taking over. This
1: is across the airwaves. Hi, everyone, welcome to another episode. Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to the Niko, TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions, the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is my Jedi apprentice, my co-host.
2: Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we will continue to cover the new series of Doctor Who, with an in-depth discussion of the Season 8, Episode 7, entitled Kill the Moon, and the premiere of Castle, along with episodes of Sleepy Hollow, Person of Interest, and the premieres of Legend of Korra Book 4, and Star Wars Rebels, along with our sitcom section, including new girl big bang theory and modern family and as always we will also bring you all the tv and entertainment news of the week in the news with nico section
1: so let's get things started with that news go with nico section with some exciting news about gotham and more star wars
2: indeed Gotham has found its Harvey Dent. Masters of Sex Nicholas DeGasso is moving to Gotham, according to Entertainment Weekly. The actor will play idealistic and charming assistant district attorney Harvey Dent, who eventually becomes the villain Two-Face. He will recur throughout the rest of Gotham's first season, with the possibility of becoming a regular in Season 2. As previously announced, Dexter alum David Zayas will play mob boss Salvatore Maroni, the man who disfigures Dent, resulting in his villainous transformation. Star Wars Rebels renewed for Season 2. The spark of rebellion will continue as Disney XD has renewed Star Wars Rebels. For season two, the announcement comes just a day before *Rebels* makes its TV debut. Though the first episode is already available to watch on WatchDisneyXD.com, said Disney Channel Worldwide President and Chief Executive Officer Gary Marsh in a statement. "Quote: The global expectations for this series could not have been any higher, and I am proud to say that the team at Lucasfilm has delivered something that has surpassed even that incredibly high bar artistically and thematically." After the one-hour *Rebels* premiere airs on Disney Channel on Friday, October 3rd, half-hour episodes will begin debuting Monday on Disney on October 13th Yvette Nicole Brown has left community well this is an unfortunate turn of events Yvette Nicole Brown better known as Shirley to fans of Greendale Community College will not appear as a full-time series regular when community makes its sixth season debut on Yahoo screen the actress exit was confirmed earlier this week by TV Guide who spoke with Brown about the familial problems that forced her hand when it came to her status on the series quote my dad needs daily care and he needs me Brown said to the outlet his failing health forced the actress to reevaluate her priorities quote the idea of being away 16 hours a day for five months, I couldn't do it. It was a difficult decision for me to make, but I had to choose my dad. But that doesn't mean she'll be off TV forever or even the foreseeable future. Brown has left community on good terms with the series creator, which means that there's definitely potential for an occasional guest appearance or two. Quote, I'm totally open to whatever Dan decides, she said. I'm glad it won't be hard for them to explain where she is either because she has three kids, a degree, and a business to run. There are a lot of ways to explain her absence. She's also set to recur on CBS's multi-camera sitcom the odd couple, which actually she was made a series regular earlier this week, but that sh- show's shooting schedule is far far easier to manage, so it won't be that big of a deal for her to still be available on that show and still be able to be there for her dad. So now the biggest task lies ahead for Dan Harmon and company, who've already had to deal with the loss of Chevy Chase and Donald Glover prior to this season. Though there is word floating around that Harmon is trying to get Glover back on board in some capacity. Yvette Nicole Brown's departure joins that of Jonathan Banks, who's shooting a starring role in Better Call Saul. But thankfully, Joel. McKenna Julian Jillian Jacobs, Danny Pudi, Alison Brie, Jim Rash, and Ken Jeong are all slated to return for season six king kong animated series coming to netflix netflix and 41 entertainment have announced king kong the king of the apes an original animated television series aimed at kids the cgi animation will be set in san francisco in 2050 alcatraz island has been converted into a natural history and marine preserve but when star attraction kong escapes and becomes the world's most hunted fugitive the villain that framed him is free to unleash an army of giant robotic dinosaurs on the world naturally kong is the only force formidable enough to stop those dinosaurs netflix members will be introduced to this version of king kong first through a full-length feature film, followed by 12 half-hour episodes beginning in 2016. Mockingbird joining the Avengers has been discussed. Adriana Palicki has been discussing her role as Bobby Morse in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., calling the character badass and revealing that the possibility of her transitioning to the Avengers movies has been discussed. Palicki will first play the head of Hydra security in the forthcoming S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, A Hen in the Wolf House, and told us Bobby Morse is another badass character. She has been working with S.H.I.E.L.D. for a bit. She gets along with the team very well. In the comics, the character of course, Mockingbird, marries Hawkeye, and joins up with the Avengers. And Palicki said that the chance to potentially join the big screen team was part of the appeal when she signed up for the role. Seriously, this was one of the first things I said when she was cast, that she was an actor that fit the bill for both the small and big screens. So I totally see this as a possibility. Dominic Cooper officially joins Marvel's Agent Carter as Howard Stark. While it's been long rumored, Marvel confirmed this week that Dominic Cooper will return to the role of Howard Stark on Agent Carter next year. Cooper first portrayed the elder Stark in Captain America the First Avenger, starring alongside Haley Atwell. Now, the two actors will reprise their roles for Marvel's Agent Carter on ABC. Atwell indicated that Cooper would be part of Marvel's Agent Carter earlier this year. Carter will be going on secret missions for Stark while also balancing her administrative job at the Strategic Scientific Reserve. Marvel's Agent Carter is set to premiere this winter. Yvonne Chavrosky to reteam team with... With Chuck Creator on Astronaut Wives Club. The Astronaut Wives Club just got a lot hotter, like burning up upon re-entry hotter, thanks to the addition of Chuck alum Yvonne Stravowski. The actress will join the upcoming ABC series cast, giving her the chance to once more work with Chuck co-creator Josh Schwartz. The new drama is penned by Gossip Girl's Stephanie Savage, Schwartz co-EP, and follows a group of women who support their star-bound husbands during the 1960s space race. The action follows Lily Coppola's 2013 bestseller, which chronicles the lives of the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo missions crew's spouses. Stravowski's Renee Carpenter is the wife of Mercury astronaut Scott Carpenter, a modern woman whose passion for issues like civil rights will cause conflict with some of the other wives. Though the period drama originally was set to premiere in summer of 2014, production was halted in April while the series concept was expanded. The network has now tentatively scheduled Astronaut Wives Club for midway through the current TV season. Guardians of the Galaxy's Awesome Mixtape is available on limited edition Mondo Vinyl. The Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mixtape Volume 1 is getting a limited edition vinyl release. Thanks to the generous guys Mondo, who recently acquired a record label, the best film soundtrack of the year will get the deluxe treatment for all you mega fans, audiophiles, and would-be saviors. Mondo's very first screen-printed album package will house an 180-gram purple vinyl record featuring all the tracks from the Awesome Mixtape. Peter Quill's mom was a very classy lady of discerning taste and she would want us to listen into blue suede and 10cc this way. Of course, Star Lord is excused because portability is essential to saving the galaxy from the terrors of Ronin. Anyway, the striking artwork, this thing looks amazing in grayscale, was done by Tyler Stout, who was previously composed work for Iron Man and the Avengers. Each final sleeve will come with one of nine randomly selected handbills featuring our favorite characters from the movie, which you can see in the link in the ACC feed. Head to that link on the Nerdist page to place your pre order, which will ship in early 2015. Finally, Avengers 3 could be a two-parter. One of the more exciting rumors going into this last weekend is that the Marvel's proposed third, the Avengers film, is being split into a two-part movie. The move would follow a trend that has been common in the final entries of young adult film franchises of late, such as Twilight, Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, and Divergent. Those that have been released so far have proven to be major moneymakers. The rumor comes from the Daily Marvelite, who say they are pretty confident in its content. It also seems a date may already be in mind. Marvel announced an untitled movie for May 3rd, 2019, which initially many thought to be Avengers 3. Marvel head Kevin Feige then later indicated a third Avengers would be out in 2018. This would now suggest a third and fourth film being targeted for potential May 2018 and May 2019 releases respectively. The idea sounds quite plausible, with the film expected to not only be a big budget blowout, but overstuffed with heroes and Thanos fighting storylines, especially if some of the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy show up. On the other hand, for such a production to happen, it would require a few cast ne- renegotiations and all sorts of schedule adjustments. It's not clear from their source, though, if this will be a two-part movie or two separate films, with the fourth one being an Avengers-Guardians mashup. Regardless, this is awesome news. And that's the news with Nico for this week.
1: All right, well, let's continue with our kind of space the final frontier theme of this episode with a Doctor Who episode that had quite an interesting twist, something that we're used to seeing up in the sky. So let's talk about the Doctor Who episode, Kill the Moon.
2: The Doctor takes Clara and Courtney to the moon in the year 2049 and they discover that it is plagued by a mysterious killer lifeform and moonquakes. When they work out what is going on, Clara and Courtney face a terrible decision, which the Doctor refuses to help them with. It is no secret that I did not enjoy last week's episode, The Caretaker, so going into this week's episode, it probably does not surprise you that I was nervous about some of that disappointment carrying over to this episode, especially when I knew that the annoying Courtney Woods, played by Ellis George, would be in this episode, but with Notre Dame winning in dramatic fashion over Stanford on a miracle fourth and 11 touchdown pass with about a minute left in the game. I was in a great mood when we sat down to watch the episode. Unfortunately that mood did not help with this episode. Now I know I am in the vast minority with this feeling about the episode because the early reviews online and from others I've spoken to with before sitting down to write my discussion points all seem to think that this was one of the best episodes of the season. Written by Peter Harness and directed by Paul Williams Hurst, two people who'd never worked on Doctor Who before, I would agree that this episode was gorgeous shot and possibly one of the best looking episodes of the season. Right away...
3: Yes, most definitely fit the moon theme.
2: Yeah, right away I want to praise William Hurst's direction because it was simply gorgeous. They really were able to turn the volcanic ground they shot on in Lazarus, Spain, into a decidedly lunar surface, and the blackness of space, the grayness of the ground, and the orange of the spacesuits really popped on screen. Then, of course, this was an episode that featured moon spider thingies, which we find out are really bacteria from a much, much larger being, which are suitably terrifying and the visuals were excellent. Really good stuff there. The plot was the problem I had with this episode. The inclusion of Courtney Wood, the Doctor abandoning Clara and the others to make the decision, the very sudden emotional turn in the end of the episode where Clara ultimately decides to, temporarily anyway, end her time on the TARDIS, were all things that I'll discuss in detail in my things that did not work for me section, but they bear mention, at least here, on why I was not exactly on board for this episode. So Dan, the last two weeks I've felt much like Peter Capaldi's doctor and an old curmudgeon who only complains about the episodes so were you in the majority and really enjoyed this episode or with me in the minority and was disappointed again this week
1: you know yeah so this is the thing i really enjoyed the imagination behind the episode okay the idea of there being a creature inside the moon was cool yeah
2: absolutely i mean
1: i thought that was really clever and fit the imagination okay I'm just like whoa i didn't think of that this show is very good at. i thought the turning off the lights thing the vote on what to do about the creature, was very cool. Okay. Um, I didn't like the doctor abandoning them. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was dark because that goes back to that Water of Mars episode with David Tennant that I don't like because it got so dark like that. But at the same time, again, again, I think they would have done it in a more nicer or less harsh way with like Matt or or David Tennant, uh-huh. where it would have been something to do with time travel that they couldn't interfere or okay. that it's human's decisions. So I get the thought process behind it, but I think the doctor handled it all wrong. Yeah. Like I get I get where it needs to be the human decision because it is the fate of their planet and their future as an but the doctor he should handle that in a more helpful way absolutely does that make sense
3: absolutely yeah so
1: like I justify where it's coming from can I get where the writers do it they're not like completely like off base with it but at the same time it's just too different from the doctors
3: that we're used
2: to yeah you know despite my overall sour mood when it comes to this episode there were a number of things i really did enjoy and you named a, a bunch of them dan i i, I, yeah. I agree with you I, I thought that turn out the lights idea was a really cool idea the the whole there's a being in the middle of the moon that you know hatches and then gives us another moon that was pretty awesome and i absolutely loved the theme idea commentary on human flight that was included in this story yeah essentially they were saying that humans had become bored with flight, and it was the loss of our moon and the hatching of a new moon dragon, for lack of a better term, was the thing that helped motivate humans to once again seek out the stars and explore the galaxy. As a huge proponent of manned spaceflight, I am greatly distressed by the fact that the US does not have a manned space vehicle and is at least one to two full years away from SpaceX private spaceships being able to fly Americans to space once again on our own. Now, I attended the NASA panel at Comic-Con and heard Buzz Aldrin talk about the fact that we have plans to put humans on Mars by 2040. But that without funding, those plans are worthless because we won't reach those goals if Congress keeps cutting NASA's budget and keeps eliminating the need for manned spaceflight. So, this part of the episode spoke to me. Unfortunately, much of the rest of it did not really.
1: But it, that was very relatable and current.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I like
1: that they kind of they almost ripped it from the headlines kind of thing with that idea. It was very, I'm glad that they did a real world touch or way to relate to the sci fi.
2: Yeah, and as I mentioned in the beginning, I really enjoyed the visuals of this episode. I thought that it it was just an absolutely gorgeously shot episode. So even if I had problems with some of the plotting, the visuals of this episode absolutely were amazing. I thought the images of the moon's surface were just brilliant. And the moon spiders were a great threat this week that felt sufficiently menacing and terrifying, despite only really killing two of the other astronauts and having three interactions with our heroes. They, They still looked great and were scary enough that I could see them being, you know, on the par with a classic Doctor Who monster, but also not so scary or so overwhelming that it scared everybody and was part of that problem that people are having with Doctor Who maybe being too scary for kids. I don't think, I think this was the perfect amount of scary if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it didn't turn into Alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I think mean, it close but it wasn't too much. But I, I think this season is darker for kids.
2: Yeah, you know, it's definitely been a complaint and I know the BBC has run a few newsprint articles about, is Doctor Who too dark for your kids? Is it safe to to still watch this show with your kids? Is it now an adult show that's masquerading as a children's program? I think it's still family friendly. I think because of the way the doctor, yes, he's darker and he's not exactly Matt Smith or David Tennant anymore. I think we're moving in that direction. And that's our point. The whole season has been he's moving in the opposite direction. So yeah, it is a little bit darker in the beginning, but I don't think it's so bad or so dark that kids can't also enjoy it. I think it's sort of on that double level, like a lot of Pixar movies are where there's yeah. a a storyline that speaks to the kids, and there's a, a deeper and higher level that speaks to maybe the adults that are also watching the show. So I think there's that two two levels that really make it work, and I think it's still working on that level. Okay, I agree. Okay. Now, did you have any other favorite parts that you wanted to talk about, or I know you agree with
1: the FX be nervous. I'm worried that Courtney is going to become the replacement companion. Okay. Because they haven't done that yet. Uh uh-huh. Buffett well, hasn't done that yet. Where you say the Doctor work with a younger girl companion. Yeah. And I know they've done that in the past and I feel like that's where they might want to go to make
2: him lighter. And I don't know if I like that or if this is the right person to do that. I really hope not because I despise the Courtney Wood character. Yeah, that's kind of where I got a little bit. Okay.
1: So that that's the only thing that makes me a little nervous. Um, the other thing I thought was kind of interesting is the episode's kind of pro-life message. Okay. Um, I, I don't want to go too far down that hole because I know that's the abortion thing and the whole thing is a big debate but I acknowledge uh, trying to tackle the subject, and doing it in a fairly friendly way. Okay, yeah, definitely,
2: definitely, definitely. I don't want to. I don't want to jump down that rabbit hole either. <laughs> but I, I just, I did pick up on that. Okay, yeah, I didn't really think of it in that in that terms. So that's interesting. I'll, I'll have to reevaluate that in my mind as well. But or I don't
1: you can think just that... think about it of, of being a mother. Okay, and understanding that
3: relation. Yeah, because that that that's what they did refer to. Like, Clara, we may see basically I it,
2: I think that's definitely in her in her future. Now I mentioned in in the opening that I wanted to talk about a few of my issues with this episode a little more in depth and for one thing I already mentioned and I just mentioned again that I'm not a fan of the Courtney Wood character. I find her annoying, worthless as a character and just a waste of screen time so far. Maybe they could make her better if they gave her more time and screen time and if they were going to make her another new companion but I don't want to see that. So is she another new companion this season? Because that's what it seems like in the last two episodes and I'm hoping that this experience finally ran her off like it did clara at the end i hope that yeah. the doctor has to go on his own because he's kind of alienated both of them and eventually we think Clara's going to come back i don't know did other people actually enjoy her as a as a pseudo companion on this episode or last week's caretaker episode i, I just don't see that as likely. She's such an abrasive character and so I don't know. What I
1: want Danny on the
3: TARDIS for.
2: Oh absolutely. And I thought that's where they were going but it seems like he's going to be that guy she goes that Clara goes back to and uses as a rock or stability in in her relationships and gives her an anchor to come back to and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. It worked with Rory in the first part of the Amy story. It worked with the grandfather with Donna. You know it has worked in the past but I I just would have liked to see a little more Danny Pink, you know, and on the TARDIS, I think that would have been fun. The other thing that really bothered me about this episode was the Doctor abandoning Clara and the other humans to make the decision. I think the Doctor has continually made huge decisions for entire races before. You mentioned the waters of Mars. The Doctor made the decision and he forced that decision. Now, the astronaut in that one kept everything the same by committing suicide at the end, which was really dark, but he made that decision and the Doctor has made some pretty big other Choices for everyone. That's why I think it was a little hypocritical for him to just let Clara make the big decision for everyone. He basically said, I don't feel like shaping the future of mankind today, so you do it this time, Clara. Now, he, he claims that he knew she'd make the right decision all along, but she says she almost didn't do it and that that scared her and was partly why she left at the end of the episode. So, this didn't really make sense to me logically why all of a sudden he just put his foot down, I'm not going to make a decision this week. It's just an, one of the major things that really didn't sit well with me. And the last few episodes are, I guess, attempting to shake up the status quo and make us question whether the man we think of as a hero is really any good at all. Or at least it's making Clara ask that question. And Danny Pink as well. And at least at the moment, she seems to be feeling less and less so like he is a good person. He asked her in the first episode, in the premiere episode of this season, am I a good man? And she said, I don't know. And right now, I think she would answer no. And we saw in the previews for next week that she's not even on the next trip with the Doctor. So what does that mean? Is she really off the TARDIS for an extended period of time? So as far as I can tell, this episode had an almost stupid simple sci-fi idea, which actually was brilliant in its simplicity.
3: Yeah.
2: A huge moral dilemma, perils on all sides, a ticking clock element, absolutely. Clara set it up that we have 45 minutes to make this decision in the very beginning of the episode. An unreliable hero and a resolution where not everything goes back to the way it was. Usually, that's a recipe for a great Doctor Who episode. This week, the souffle fell short. So Dan, as I ask you every week, were there any things that just did not work for you this week? Or things you wish had been done better other than what we've already talked about? Or do you want to just expound upon a couple of those points I already I made? Just,
1: the, the Doctor being questioned as a hero. I don't know if I like that. I, I just, it doesn't, uh.
2: Yeah, we're both on the same page it, there.
1: It's frustrating. It's like it's like Batman not being Batman or Superman not being Superman. Right. It's getting a borderline like that. Mm-hmm. And they, I think we need to see something big happen soon that pushes us back in the in the direction i agree i mean i know you said yes the point of the series but it's getting to the point where we're getting impatient uh-huh waiting to get there it's not working and uh, i mean it just there was a concern i had when capaldi came in in the first place yeah and it's still happening okay and it drives me nuts because Stephen moff and everything i've seen him do i've really enjoyed and thought was gold and this is the first time i've really really begun to question him on this call yeah and i don't like that i feel guilty Okay. You know, and, and I really hope we don't see something like this happen with Shirley yeah I hope you know not. I mean and again it, it seems like he's trying to write Capaldi's Doctor as a character like that again uh, he's not cover match
2: that's okay yeah I agree
1: you know it, it just it's, he seems like he's really into writing characters right now that are questioning their moral ambiguity I guess that's the best word to use for it and he may need to lay off with that sort of thing for Doctor Who or make that a new companion character and make the Doctor more of what we're used to I don't know yeah
2: yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> but unfortunately, I think that's where we're going to have to leave it for this week. And yeah. we'll, But just make sure to join us again next week for our discussion on the Season 8, Episode 8, Mummy on the Orient Express, which I think, despite being Clara-less, looks amazing and will be more to my liking. I think we're going to yeah. have more fun next week. I think it's going to be a better episode. I, I think the whole Clara and Doctor th- issues have been put on the back burner, and that's going to make the next episode better. And I It think,
1: needs to be like the Robin Hood episode.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think yep. so. That was one of the better episodes of the season, and where we really started feeling like, okay, I, I understand what they're doing with Peter Cavaldi. The last two, I've I've lost it. So yeah, I
1: I really yeah I really think that Robin Hood might have been the best episode of the series for me. Okay, of this of this series. Yeah,
3: not, of the whole show. <laughs> the whole show, right?
1: <laughs> All right. So with that, we're gonna move on to a show that's imagination just doesn't seem to end. Because that's Sleepy Hollow with the episode The Kindred.
2: To defeat the Horsemen, Ichabod and Abby seek out a patchwork band that Franklin and the Sisterhood built to oppose Moloch's servants. Meanwhile, the new sheriff arrests Jenny, and Frank explains that the demons killed his supposed murder victims.
1: With this week's episode of the Imagination, behind this show, just still continues to amaze, as they are now not just applying the story called Sleepy Hollow to the history of the American Revolution, but other horror classics as well, with it being revealed that Benjamin Franklin created his own version of Frankenstein, which was nuts, and that just got me excited. Nico, did you like this concept and how Team Ichabod used their own monster to fight the
3: headless horse
2: yeah i love this concept we we saw the raising of the kindred scene at comic-con and i have to say it was one of my favorite things about the entire panel yeah, awesome. and when i had the full context of the episode leading up to that scene t- this week it made it even more badass so yeah his double battle with both horsemen was that was amazing i i had a lot of fun
1: yeah and i i was kind of freaking out during that that he was gonna die He was going to get killed off by War of the Horseman. Okay. Kind of like, don't kill him. This is too awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Like, there's too much potential for more three-way battles. Cause that was cool. And really, I'm kind of interested Could maybe seeing the kindred of the monster become maybe a fully developed character, kind of like they did with the horsemen. Like, make him have memories of the different soldiers that he was put together with or something like that. Okay. Can get some backstory and some things from that that pushes the story forward. Can maybe can give them clues about different stuff. Yeah. So I think that would be interesting in a different way to do flashbacks, I don't know.
2: Yeah, it definitely would. And I think if the kindred, if it returns in a future episode, will be an amazing weapon to help Ichabod and Abby fight the Headless Horsemen and War. But I'm not entirely sure that we will actually see him again. Well, at least not for a long while. But if he does return, I agree it would be even better if they could develop him into a fully developed character. But I'm not sure how that would work since he is an amalgam of body parts. So whose soul inhabits him? Which of the humans is the driving force in him? Is it the ones whose heart beats in his chest if it indeed beats when he's raised from the dead? Or is it the human whose body makes up the most percentage of the overall mixture of body parts? Because we know it's not the spirit of the head, which would be my first guess, because they used Abraham slash Headless's head. All of these questions would be amazing things to actually learn, but the writers would have to determine that a soul is driving the character and it's not merely a mindless spell for there to be character development. So I guess we'll have to see if they actually go that way. But I like the idea that maybe it's all the souls and one at a time is the one that is controlling things like you were saying and we could have flashbacks to their actual battles and hopefully they were all characters that were killed. I think they were. Franklin said something about they were all characters killed by the headless yep. by the headless horseman in, in battle so it would make sense that they would all fight against the headless horseman now so that would be interesting to see them and actually see their deaths in in the past so that'd be cool
1: yeah I'd like to see that I mean it's it's, it's amazing how this show comes with the concept and then you can just run wild with getting excited about all the ways it could go yeah exactly and this episode also introduced us to the new sheriff and I just did not like her she was way too aggressive but again that's a characteristic of a lot of procedure shows even one that are have kind of a horror element to them, I guess. So I'm just going to put up with them like I did with Cam on Bones and Captain Gates' God Castle. Yep. But I did think it was funny that the sheriff played everything on uh, the drug cartels. That was kind of hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's too much to even think that drug cartels are involved. (laughs) Have we even seen like a South American
2: cartel or anything like that on this show? No, no. No, but that was her area of expertise. So when people start getting decapitated, she sees it as a drug connection. Where you know it's obviously a supernatural connection (laughs) rather. Right. No, I totally agree, Dan. And I'm not a fan of her either. But we weren't supposed to be a fan of hers, like you said, because she comes in, locks up Jenny, gets rid of Ichabod as a consultant, and removes them from using the archives as their headquarters. So we're not supposed to like her. She is abrasive beyond what I think was actually necessary, though, and seemed to have it out for Captain Irving personally, so I don't I don't know. I didn't like her, that's about all I could really say.
1: But who knows how long she'll be around
2: for? That is true, although I think she's a regular. Ugh. She could only be recurring, but I think they said at Comic-Con that she was a regular, so she might be around for the whole season. Because she's not listed in the opening credits, so... I think now, after she's been introduced, she will be, if uh. she is indeed a regular. She could be just recurring. I'm, I'm not 100% on that, but I thought they said she was a regular
1: well i was proceed off with her head but guess that
2: <laughs> maybe 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 they just meant that she will be regularly seen and at, i don't know maybe she is just recurring and we'll see captain irving back pretty soon
1: bring uh bring a uh, clancy brown back as I'll zombie sure.
2: Well, oh, that, that would be pretty awesome, except for that yeah. he's now on Flash.
1: That's true, he is. It's gonna be weird to see him uh kinda of superhero thing, not as much I think so it'll he, be fun. I think it'll yeah. be fun. He's fun. Yeah, he's yeah. I kind of like what stuff he's in. Okay, and speaking of Captains and Sheriffs, it was gonna see Captain Irving back in this episode. Yep. But I just feel bad for the guy because he can't catch a break. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean he's just, he's kinda of relating himself to the character he played on those commercials, because the seven up guy for all his money making schemes or advertising schemes backfired. He's kinda of having the same luck as the captain. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought for sure they'd get him out of jail, or Abby would work something out. But he ended up having to go to a psychiatric consultant to, I guess, continue helping the team. But then he got tricked into, got uh, signed soul sold to the devil by Henry. So uh, he's still kind of screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he got this
3: guy have any hope?
2: I don't know, man. Feel bad for him. I, of course, I feel bad for him. I don't. He's a good man. He's protecting his daughter from murder charges stemming from the deaths caused by the while she was possessed, and he's getting screwed by. the system and now the horsemen of war i'm not sure if he sold his soul or indentured himself to their cause or what the actual fallout of his signing that contract will be that he did not read i mean come on someone hands you a contract you gotta at least skim it and signing it with blood i assume it will mean mean, i would
1: i would know that right away that's a red flag
2: oh yeah i mean but that's because we're sci-fi and supernatural freaks
1: (laughs) Well, he reads the Bible. You saw that.
2: True enough, true enough. Now, I assume that it will mean that they own him in some, or can control him in some way, and use him against Abby and Ichabod. All I know, it was nothing good with him signing that paper.
1: And I'm still terrified that he is going to end up betrayed them, still.
2: That seems like a, a good place, for, story-wise, it, for it to go.
1: But I like the character. I don't like this.
2: Well, you can still like him, and he betrays him essentially against his own will, or against his own knowledge, and then he has to redeem himself. Self. That's always a great story.
1: Well, they did that with the character on Sons of Anarchy, and now I don't like that character. Like, he just seems like this has got the wimp to me, so...
2: It's always a gamble. Yeah. It always is a gamble.
1: And, and I think Sons of Anarchy kind of wrecked that character. I get why they needed it for the story, but you despise that character now. Okay. And uh, speaking of betraying the team, I really can't decide whose side Katrina's going to end up
3: on at the end of the season.
1: I would like for her to redeem Henry, kind of like she promised Nicoban, because I think they will keep John Noble on the show, can okay, get us some... More great performances yeah. out of him because he really hasn't had that really skill to show seed yet this season. He did last year, so I know right. it's coming. But I also see potential for foreshadowing, where, you know, Katrina really might come out as being Ichabod's greatest weakness. So, Nico, do you think Katrina will remain a mole? Or fall
3: victim to Stockholm Syndrome?
2: I predicted last week that she might fall victim to some supernatural Stockholm Syndrome and prevent Abby and Ichabod from destroying the Headless Horseman when they have a chance because she believes that they can save or redeem him, but I'm not sure that is where things are actually going to go now. Now that she is a committed mole for the cause, I think she will remain loyal to Ichabod and may be sacrificed, or rather she may be Lost to him because of her betrayal of the Headless Horseman and war. That's now, kind of interesting. Yeah. Now, alternatively, I think she may sacrifice herself to redeem or save Henry and return him from being war to their son Henry, like he fully out of Mullock's control. Right. I hope that. Well,
1: I think his mother die might snap him out of it.
2: Yeah, and I'm that's hoping that that problem. is the ending we actually get, so that John Noble can be a regular for the remainder of the series. I love that guy, and I want him to remain on the show. So I think Everything. if he if he turns good, he will become their staunchest ally. He will become one of a member of the team and but
1: I want it to be a struggle for that character yeah I, I think it's a great performances out of that
2: well I think him breaking free of Moloch's control and, and of his influence and turning his back on him and the struggle to, to gain full control of himself and not be able to be manipulated by Moloch will be a really cool way to see it go so I think either way that it goes with Katrina could be really good story and I'm I hoping I'm, I'm hoping for the Henry way so that we get to keep John Noble and even 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 if he stays as as war and becomes, you know, the big bad for a season, which he kind of is this season, along with Headless, but I I think it will still be fun to watch him, but I would prefer if he's struggling to be on the good side, that yeah. would be that would be more interesting and more fun for us to watch John Noble.
1: Well, and Ichabod kind of forgiving him a little bit too would be interesting. Right. Because they're working out their issues. So yeah. But again, exciting episode. The show just keeps getting more and more excited. Really still the show on my like Monday night, along with Gotham. Yeah. Which we also cover on the DC Nation podcast. So don't think we're dropping the ball here. So you can go over to that podcast and listen to our thoughts on Gotham. But really, Fox is on fire on Monday nights. And, and on Thursdays as well. David Tennant's new show is very good too. Absolutely. So uh, check out Grace Point, the other good stuff. with that, I think it's time to move on to a show that if I had problems with the doctor, well, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg to some of the character decisions that were really out there that were made in this episode. So let's talk about an episode that really greatly disappointed me, because that's the season premiere of Castle,
3: titled
2: Driven. The season 7 premiere picks up right where last season's finale left off. As Castle was driving to his wedding, a black SUV came roaring at him. Beckett is worried when Castle doesn't show up, but soon she is called to an accident scene where Castle's car is engulfed in flames. Now Beckett must find out who or what caused the crash and determine if Castle could have survived.
1: Alright guys, well I think this episode may spark a little bit of a debate here on this episode of ATA. I personally felt that a lot of the time progression, good investigation, kind of made this episode too overwhelming for just one episode. I kind of wish they did what they went with last season, where they opened with a strong uh, two-part episode. Uh, because this just felt like they had a lot of material to cover, and it was a lot to swallow. And I almost had to watch a little bit of the beginning again, because it was just, just a lot of things going on for me. Maybe that was the point to really kind of get you into the idea of a missing person's case, how it was affecting the characters. But it was just it was overwhelming it got to me and the audience that I was watching. So, Nico, did you feel the same way, or where did you stand on this?
2: You know, not really, Dan. I can see your point, for sure. Sure. But for me, it was not too much time or too large of a mystery because in reality, it was just setting the table for the season's big story arc or big bad story arc and overarching story arc and mystery for the season. So it was just a, a big setup episode for me. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the entire episode either, but I okay. think it was okay just doing it as a single episode because the whole rest of the season is going to deal with a lot of the fallout from it. So I don't think they needed to wrap it up in a nice little bow in a single two part, ep- a single episode or two part episode. Episode because they got the whole season to do that and that's I think how they're going to handle it.
3: I
1: I agree. Okay. I mean it just I don't I don't know how long I want the arc to go for to be honest. Or if it works, or if it's strong as catching, you know, Beckett's mob's murderer. Right. Or if those stories are going to come back, because there is still that possibility. Again, that might be too much. I don't know. And really, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to keep going on about complaining here. But I just kind of didn't like how Beckett, Ryan, Ganespa, Zeno kind of got angry, kind of began to tr- distrust Castle when he didn't remember where he was for the past few months. I just think it would have been way out of character for Castle to leave his family behind, especially after all those worries he's had about Alexis and leaving Alexis. You know, that episode so where Alexis got kidnapped and he calls went nuts and you know I, I just I don't see him just getting up and leaving everybody like that right he just wouldn't do that especially after his father kind of doing it bothered him as well he just was out there and the fact that like Beckett who's about to be his wife like didn't I don't know get that or got mad it just it didn't make sense and I don't know if that's feelings of when she lost her mom coming to the surface again because she lost someone else she loved but it just kind of like a fighting I, it, it didn't work
2: yeah I totally agree I had issues with all of that until the end where everyone seemed to come back together and believe Castle was set up. Right,
1: and I hope it stays that way.
2: But for most of the episode where Esposito was doubting Castle and even turned Ryan against him was tough to watch. But I guess it was intended to solidify the team even more by bringing them all back together and rallying them around a cause and a big bad case of who set up Castle. I'm not sure we needed that because they were already pretty solidified as a team, but I do like the season-long arc creation that the setup of Castle brings, but otherwise I didn't like the whole distrust and loss of team cohesion. I just thought it was an unnecessary addition to this episode why why didn't they just wholeheartedly believe him that's what we would have expected from these characters who had
1: had, saved their lives a couple times and had
2: been a a member of their team for six years you know it just didn't make sense that esposito was so quickly against him and ryan at least was on his side until they saw that video of castle making the drop and i'll explain a little bit later why i think that was a possibility but yeah it just was not good
1: well, the camaraderie between the characters is one of my favorite parts of the show. Absolutely. I mean, that's where they have their opportunities for fun and humor. Cause they always kind of even manage to slip it in, get to the darkest episodes. Right. like even the season finale, season three, which is, that's probably one of the most intense season finales. There were parts of that episode that were fucked or, 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 slipped in a couple of chuckles before crap hit the fan. Right. But at least there was a portion of it in there. This felt like drama the whole time. that kind of killed my excitement for Castle being that. You know, I, I kind of like a joke or, or something where he pops up and it's like, you yeah, yeah, I'm glad he's back. Like in season two where he kept, well, no, season three, there was a premiere where he just kept showing up at the crime scene. He kept being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. Yeah, he, he just had a great entrance. and it is that about this episode. Yeah, agreed. And it's it, it leaving me with a bad taste with season seven. You know, we, we had that scary point at the end of season five where the show was going to take a fall. Now I feel like we're getting to that point where it's going to happen again. Um, again, Bones was a mess in season seven because that's when that show started going AWOL and I'm a little scared with showrunner changes and other things going on with the show that we're going to hit it get a hit.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm worried about that as well.
1: So, I don't know, I, for me, that kind of makes me feel like memory loss can cause trouble on shows. Yeah. You and I both know that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I don't know, I'm kind of wanting this arc to be like mid-season. Okay. You know, they retrace the steps and then the next season is, the next half is either catching the guy or proving that he did it. Uh-huh. I just think that's better. Can really, the plot line, I don't know, I feel like it's already started on the, the borderline of being far-fetched, with like being drugged for three months later. Yeah. Like, that's the most feasible explanation, because they did that on the show before. Remember with that, well, wasn't that cult. Do you remember that episode where they got all those people to come in and confess to the same murder?
2: Right. And it was it was from some kind of, I don't know if it was a cult, but. Well, they, they implanted memories. They got them right. into a, a, a hyperactive state or into a, a suggestive state and then implanted the memories so that it would hide the actual murder. Yeah.
1: Right. So I don't know if that's what they're going to do. I just, I'm not sure. Nico, you, you really have any ideas on how they can get themselves out of this corner? Can you think like something like connecting to Senator Record of triple killer will save the storyline.
2: So, Dan, I think the writers are going to use the drug scopolamine as the explanation of Castle's absence and lack of memory of the months he, he was missing. There's something that there's a name for it. Yeah, scopolamine, also known as devil's breath, is a drug used by Colombian drug lords and criminals to place the recipient in a zombie-like state. So, scopolamine is tasteless, odorless, and has a reputation for being something of a zombie drug, meaning victims are still very much active while they're on it, remembering very little of those activities the next day. And if you were continually And if Castle were continuously dosed with this drug, he would be able to do all the things he did during the three months he was missing and still not remember any of it when he finally came off the drug. Plus, depending on how long he was out in that boat before he lost consciousness or when he lost consciousness, the drug could have fully metabolized and no longer show up in his toxicology screening. So this seems to be most likely the explanation of what happened to Castle, in my opinion. As for who did it, I think 3XK is the best bet, and I'll be disappointed if it is Senator Bracken. I feel like that storyline's done. I, I Absolutely. We felt like it was done at the end of last season. But really, I guess either are good guesses thus far. And that's why I'm going to say they're both red herrings. I think Yeah, this they is put them a, on the table in this episode, by the way. Yep, exactly. That's why I have a feeling this will s- stretch across the entire season, like the Bracken case before it, which went multiple seasons. But I don't think it's going to be a part of the weekly cases. And it'll just come back in from time to time as they get new leads or something. And someone new will emerge as this thing. And it'll be somebody from, I think it's going to be somebody from Castle and Beckett's combined past. But it might just be somebody who has a grudge against Castle, or maybe even against his father, and that might be how they bring the dad in for this final, final okay. time. So it'll but be interesting. It's
1: still open ended with 3XK though.
2: That is true. I, I just think this is not this. He's going to be a red herring on this one. I think.
1: Okay. Well, that may be his return episode, right? Where he comes back for his own version of revenge because they think he has to do with you know the memory loss thing too. Because they find out he has nothing to do with
2: it. That's definitely a possibility.
1: But again, his lover is a doctor. Could probably could get her hands off. This type of drug, I would think.
2: Uh, definitely a possibility. But again, Bracken could get
1: his hands on it too because he was involved with drugs and stuff.
2: Another good point.
1: Or it could be someone that's higher than him, if that's possible.
2: The kingmaker behind behind yep. Bracken, yeah, absolutely.
1: So gotta know. But again, I would think they would go after Beckett over Castle.
2: Maybe it is going after Beckett by attacking Castle and making true. and wrecking their happy ending.
1: Which they're not going to wreck, just so you know. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Next week, I want a fun episode, please. Fun case. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, with that, we're going to move on to talking about a show that I thought was going into kind of a optimistic, bright area, but kind of got a little dark again. And that's the person of interest episode, entitled Nautilus.
2: Finch's resolve to avoid dealing with new numbers is tested when Reese reveals that the latest person of interest is a brilliant college student involved in a dangerous scavenger hunt, but taking action may put Finch at risk of detection by Samaritan.
1: Nico, I know you kind of complained last week about Samaritan forcing Finch and his team to the cover identities, kind of giving the show a different feel, but I thought this episode kind of gave us more of what we usually expect for person of interest, because it focused on Reese and Finch. God, did you feel a little bit better about some of those concerns? Yeah, last week Nico, that they did this.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Dan. I felt this week's episode was more like what I had hoped this show would continue to be and where the episode ended seemed to me to be the best possible setup for the season with the new hq which was awesome and the whole team back together and working together to save numbers and help people again i like that they still have to rely on their secret identities sort of but i like the idea that they're all together they're going to start working numbers and saving people and i think that's where this episode needed to get us
1: yeah I think there wasn't time last week
3: to get that stuff
2: uh, yeah absolutely it had okay. to be a stepping stone last week
1: yeah and I'm glad that they did it fast they I mean, fast enough that it didn't feel like out of place right but enough to not make it feel like the show had completely stolen yeah
2: Yeah.
3: okay
1: yep I agree and uh, I think there were there were some changes a little bit made to the cover identities and I think Shaw's a thief because the cover identity I think better fits her Agree. and kind the of show's personality yep but I'm wondering if the path will end up like corrupting her morality or she'll end up getting carried away with the thrill that comes from committing crimes. Could also, I think it may be entirely possible that there's going to be an episode where Rhys and Fusco are sent to apprehend and Shaw as cops. God, Nico, what's your thoughts on Shaw being a part-time thief?
2: You know, Dan, considering Shaw was a killer operative that used to kill terrorists that the machine told her to go after with little or no intelligence to prove it seems to make me guess that she's not going to be corrupted by being a wheelman for a gang of thieves. I think it is a fun side plot for her character, and I think her spy-slash-operative skills will keep her from the police's radar, and we won't have to worry about that sort of thing with her I think it's just a way to keep her happy when she's not chasing down numbers or saving numbers and so I think I don't think we're gonna have to deal with that sort of stuff with her I think so she's just too good
1: okay so there's gonna be no character conflict or whatever because I, mean, I just find it interesting that Reese is a cop and she's a thief and where they may go with that I think that
2: just kind of fits their personalities you know okay. she would not do well as a cop because of her sort of antisocial tendencies whereas he can just meld into that world and become a great. It fits his his personality. Whereas thieves, where she's kind of a loner, she does her own part of the job, makes sure everybody gets safe, but at the same time doesn't have to be friends with these people, doesn't have to make interpersonal connections. It just fits her perfectly.
1: Now, do you think that this plotline may put her into place with running into some persons of interest?
2: I do think that that is a distinct possibility. Absolutely.
1: And I also see this maybe putting her get Elias's
3: wheelhouse.
2: That's always a possibility. I hope that actually happens because I would love to see some more interaction with Elias this season. We've been calling for it for since his introduction that we want to see more of him. We love Enrico yeah. Colatoni, but we love the Elias character too. So. Well, we've
1: never seen him interact with Shaw either.
2: Right, exactly.
1: So they could be interesting. Moving forward, I thought the puzzles that this week's person of interest tend to solve as a part of Samaritan's game was pretty clever. But I don't know if they should have connected it to Samaritan. I mean, I would have been fine if there was some kind of like human entity, kind of maybe like a like a. Rhythm. Or Jigsaw type character. Okay. Behind the game? But, I mean, Samaritan being behind it kind of makes me feel like they're not going to have Finch and his team deal with those, like, you know, irrelevant attacks and violence anymore. Like, everything's going to be connected to Samaritan because, you know, they're at war now. I mean, is that something you is going to happen with the show? Or, I mean, is, are they just going to rack this up and say, like, this is how Samaritan has changed the world now, that every case is going to be connected to
2: it? See, I, I disagree, Dan. I think only Samaritan could have set up a game this complex so quickly. Okay. These, these sort of puzzle games in real life take humans months to set up and being that there was a new one each week it could only have been done by an AI like Samaritan or the machine thus we guessed pretty early on that it was Samaritan behind the game but what made it work for me most was it was a recruiting tool that Samaritan was using to recruit new operatives for its cause I like that and I liked that the machine was trying to save this girl from becoming an operative for Samaritan by having the team save her from the danger Samaritan was putting her in as part of the recruitment process it didn't work this time for the person of interest team saving the girl Or they saved her, but they weren't able to convince her to not become a Samaritan operative. But maybe in the future, the machine can recruit some more help for the Person of Interest team by having them actually save another recruit where they failed to convince her of the danger this time. So I actually liked it being tied back to Samaritan, and I think it needed to be this week to bring Harold back into the fold. I don't think it will be every week. I don't think Samaritan has changed the world so much that everything everything the machine does will be connected to it. But I think this week it had to be to bring Harold back into the fold.
1: Because I just would like to see some variety. Does oh, absolutely. Me? Oh, absolutely. And again, this show is trying to go for realism so that works. And this Samaritan thing just as you were talking about it's kind of like Jonathan Nolan's realistic approach on
3: x Okay. You know,
1: instead of like Magneto and xavier using Cerebro to seek out mutants to join their causes we have these machines seeking out intelligent individuals. Exactly. And So that's kind of cool too. They're, they're really taking I guess the Marvel approach towards person of interest this season where before it's been the DC kind of Batman mentality, which has been a ton of fun. I mean, you can't knock that. But it's interesting that they're trying, the Nolans are trying to play with the Marvel scenes, which is kind of cool. Yeah, agreed. And I thought season four was going to look a little more optimistic for the show, but again, it kind of got dark when the person of interest, this girl that was playing Samaritan's game, turned away, Finch's health, became an asset of Samaritan. I thought Samaritan was going to let the girl go, let the girl get killed when she won the game, but protecting her ended up being kind of a little bit of a huge surprise to me. Although I think we're going to see Samaritan in the because what more expendable compared to Finch's machine. Nico, do you foresee this happening?
2: Yes, I do. And I think that that will be what helps or makes the person of interest team better able and willing to convince the next recruit the machine tries to save from Samaritan in the future. Like I was mentioning a moment ago, I think the fact that all these other assets and why it continually needs to recruit more people will be a selling point for the person of interest team when they're trying to convince the next one, don't follow that machine. You'll just end up dead like this person, this person, this person, this person that we've all gone up against and we've seen and that the the machine will not protect you it does not care about you you are just a tool to it and i think we will see the person of interest team forced to go head to head with some of these samaritan operatives like i just said and when it when or if they capture one and attempt to interrogate or turn that operative i think samaritan will send another just another operative to kill the first operative i'm not sure whether samaritan will develop a personal relationship with some like the machine has with root but it does appear it did that with this week's person of interest but that could make things that could make things different if it does start doing that with some people. Although I think for the most part, that is an important distinction between the two AIs at this point, that the person of interest machine sort of cares, because that's how it was taught to care. And Samaritan is much more analytical and just a machine, because it was not nurtured like Finch did with the machine. So, I I think... Yeah, Greer's not a nurturing person. No, not at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. And really, with some of these operatives, I'm very curious if members of the Rogue Gallery, first of interest from gallery God will show up as assets that certain knows that they have interacted and almost defeated the team in the past and it's going to go to them for help to try to stop or I mean apparently well probably eliminate them right so do you see that happening
2: no and yes (laughs) okay I don't foresee the person of interest rogues gallery becoming Samaritan operatives because I think Samaritan will go after the best and brightest new people and not necessarily those we've already seen there might be a few there might be one that they go after I can't think of anyone specifically maybe that former MI6 operator operative that went up against the team, that would be a good candidate uh, that I could see Samaritan going after because he is a top-notch and world-class spy. That's always a possibility. I can't remember the, the character's name, otherwise I would I would mention him, who he was. But yeah, he's the guy
1: that played Joralla,
3: that's Fogel.
2: Yeah, he's still out in the wind he's... and he still has a thing against the person of interest team. There's always the possibility, but I don't really foresee it for a lot of the rogues gallery being brought in as Samaritan teammates or operatives. Now, yes, I do see the machine attempting to recruit more assets assets to the person of interest team and a group of hackers similar to the one we saw last season would be a great addition to this season. So I think that's a distinct possibility that our person of interest team and the machine could start trying to recruit the best and brightest and not just prevent them from being becoming Samaritan operatives but actually maybe turn them towards their goal as well. And in doing so they might be able to set up greater reaches and more areas safe zones where Samaritan d- loses its ability to tap into the feeds of that area and then they'd have areas of the city where they were able to operate in the open and that could be an interesting way where this group of hackers is continually having to fight against Samaritan to keep those areas secure and so that would bring these people into the group and that that'd be a really cool way of incorporating new and interesting characters into the team without having them to be you know full-fledged team members or you know having constant interactions with Root or with Shaw or Finch and Reese you know I, I, I think they could be like background where we see them sometimes and they just come in every once in a while. I don't know. I just, I just don't know. It, it's always a great possibility and I like that.
1: Well, I think we're going to see an idea of maybe how the asset thing works from the machine side of things next week. Okay. Because the trailers seem to indicate that the character or the person of interest next week is someone that they're trying to recruit or may be able to help them.
3: Okay. So we'll
1: see where that goes. But we may understand this more next week and get some answers Again, this show doesn't seem to leave us in the dark too long or it brings us something that's completely out of left field. So one of those things is going to happen soon. Right.
3: Right. And are we going to see Leon again? I hope so. I, <laughs> I like that, that
1: guy. <laughs> no, I, I don't know where he was last year, but uh, get, he's bound to get into trouble somehow.
3: Yeah, which, exactly.
1: Uh, but with that, speaking of people getting into trouble, we're going to talk about a show that I think was my favorite of the week. I have a soft spot for this universe. We all do, and I just really enjoy talking with Nico about it anyway. So let's talk about the Star Wars Rebels premiere that we've been anxiously awaiting, entitled titled Spark of Rebellion. <laughs>
2: Rebels aboard the Starship Ghost battle the evil Galactic Empire when it tries to tighten its powerful grip on the galaxy.
1: After years of clones and battle droids, it was nice to go back to the place where Star Wars started for Nico and I, got a lot of people as kids, with the Rebels battling the Empire, shooting down TIE fires, knocking together stormtrooper helmets, and learning about the mysterious ways of the force along the way. Nico, did you feel this way about the Star Wars, about the premiere Star Wars Rebels, especially when hearing its use of music from the original trilogy?
2: Yes, this pilot absolutely lived up to its promise to remind us of the original trilogy even using some of the original music and lots of imagery themes and overall feel of the originals oh yeah i loved everything about this pilot and i'm gung-ho about this series absolutely this pilot did absolutely everything it needed to do to just suck me back into this this star wars world and i absolutely loved it because
1: it had that raw feel of the original trilogy oh yeah which was just great i mean it had me excited like right when it came out yeah and really this period it was just a huge success because it followed that formula that works so well get investing us in sci-fi apps you know examples original Star Wars of course Firefly and okay, more recently Guardians of the Galaxy yep. and basically what they did is they just threw us into like heavy duty action to bring us to bring together a okay, ragtag group of characters slowing things down in the middle for right. us to kind of get to know the members of the group or develop them and then they laid down the action once again to get us really excited about what's about Nico do you think this pilot worked by following this procedure that I kind of discussed
2: absolutely Dan like you said that formula works and it has worked on some of the best and my favorite series and science fiction films throughout the history of everything I've watched I absolutely love things that follow this pattern because it works so well in this genre the initial introduction of the characters in the heist scene was great as it put Ezra in touch with the team while initially making them adversaries trying to steal the same items from the Empire ultimately it was their mutual hate of the Empire and their wanting to do something to stick it to the Empire that brought them all together with some emotional bonding along the way and a betrayal as well that ultimately cemented the team it was a great that events in the pilot to introduce strain the team and then in the end solidify a new team that works great together and I think every member of that team has a purpose a reason for being there and it is so much a combination of the original trilogy and Firefly that it it, it just it's perfect it's absolutely everything I want to see
3: I know and
1: I just can't wait for the next episode yeah I I just want to stay in this world
2: I mean it has a strong female and strong male
3: strong female
2: that's true but like I was thinking the the zoe and mal up on the the bridge it's got unfortunately i'm gonna say that kaylee is the droid because it fixes the ship and keeps it running (laughs) jane is a combination of zed and i'm forgetting her name already the mandalorian girl uh, but yeah. anyway, them together are sort of the Jane character. All we need now is a River. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess River is kind of the, the whole idea of it being Ezra and being Force-sensitive and, you know, yeah. so it's it's like Star Wars and Firefly. So so well done. Ah, oh, I was just so excited about it. But I
1: love it how you could feel like it was the Force that meant these characters to be together. Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. The Force is definitely driving all the interactions and, and the reasons that these guys got together. And that was made plain by Ezra sort of his latent force sense sort of telling him of the heist and, and, and alerting him to Kanan and the two of them sort of feeling each other in the force and that was what ultimately sparked everything off and that's why well, it was great.
1: And the idea that there always needs to be a balance. Yes. I mean no matter how Card Palpatine tried to shut everything out mm-hmm. it still exists. Yep. That spark of good and that was really a hopeful thing about this show. Can you think well I think he plays in a dark period within the Star Wars universe but it's I this feel that yes Dead a Dark Point but we're only going to go up
3: from here okay. much
1: like uh, Falling Sky started out us yeah and then kind of lost it but I think this show will stick with okay it, it's just going to keep getting better from here but again there's going to be some bad sad things that may happen with these characters just warning everybody hopefully not just yet
3: though oh, in a couple seasons. right
1: yeah again about the main character of Ezra I really felt he captured probably two of the most popular characters in the Star Wars universe where kind of had Luke Skywalker's youthfulness combined with Han Solo's mentality of kind of Saying, "Oh, I'm only going to look out for myself," but then really having a guilty conscience, can okay, deep down be a good guy. Yeah. So I really like this. Consul is a favorite character to kind of throw him in with a Luke Skywalker. That was awesome. Did you pick up on it as well?
2: Yeah, but I actually felt more like Ezra was a force-sensitive Aladdin character, sort yeah. of hidden future Jedi disguised as a street rat. But I get what you're saying about the youthfulness of Luke's mixed with the brash, arrogant, and sometimes reckless looking out for only himself Han feature as well. But with you know also a heart of gold, because ultimately he does do the right thing in the end Ezra I'm talking about does the right thing much like Han comes back to save Luke you know absolutely I, I totally see what you're saying I my initial thing was just a force sensitive Aladdin that was my initial well, feeling about Ezra
1: right and, and that type of character seems to block out the possibility of succumbing to the dark side mm-hmm. like Anakin we kind of always knew it was there yep because that might just be because we're that character but like what happens to what him. he
2: becomes right
1: yeah but Ezra is a little bit different we can tell that he's going to be a good character all Although he probably will be tempted, much like Luke Skywalker was, and Jedi in the Appearances. Yeah. Especially if
3: a certain character dies, which I think will happen. Right, exactly.
1: But I, I don't want to go I don't want to give a name, so I won't spoil it. I think everyone kinda of knows who it is. But...
2: Yeah, considering where we end up with Luke. Yes. In uh, A New Hope. I, I think I think we're both on the same page there. But you know, give it a season or two. I think it's gonna be very close to the end of the series. Okay. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And another thing I really like was the love hate relationship between Ezra and Zeb. It really almost stole the show for me. Got got it almost. There were some surprises after that. Gotta be more exciting because but Nico, what's your thoughts
3: on this character interaction?
2: Yeah, agreed, Dan. Their competition, similarities with which breeds love and hate, and the antagonistic nature of their both struggling to prove themselves to the team is what I think makes their inevitable friendship so likely. I love the interactions between these two and the fact that Zeb abandoned Ezra in the second act to later then save him in the third act, made for great story progression and character intergr- interaction and progression as well. I feel like they will continue to have a playful, contentious relationship going forward and will be some. Of the funniest stuff in the show, this show has to offer, and I think ultimately they will be grow to be best friends, you know. And
1: much like the Thing in the Human Torch, The yeah, Fantastic Four,
2: exactly. That's a great analogy because they have such a contentious relationship yes. in the beginning, and then in through battling together and going up against everything that they go up against in the past Fantastic Four, they come to be rely on each other and become such great friends. I think going up against the Empire, their mutual hate of the Empire and wanting to do something. To, to fight against the the injustice of the empire will solidify them and and grow their bond and make them even though they love to fight they will eventually love each other and because they now
1: really are the same
2: oh yeah very much so
1: that was that's cool I, that's that's a dynamic I think the original trilogy was missing a little bit. Uh, not the original trilogy, I meant the, the prequel trilogy. Prequel trilogy, absolutely. take a little bit. There wasn't that friction between some of the characters, and I think this is good. I like this.
2: Oh, I totally agree.
1: Yeah, I mean, you need the friction. It, it's very good, and Console created a lot of friction in the original trilogy, so I, I've, we've got these characters like Zeb and, and Kuzra that have that mentality of maybe wanting to look out for themselves, but that's not really just. Right. Um, in addition, I just thought choosing to save the enslaved Wookiees was a good choice for a first episode, because it set the series tie walk It explained where this is in the universe very quickly because we knew the enslaving of whoopies was something that was going on around this time and really I kind of wanted to see what the Spice Minds god looked like after reading about it in books so I, I like that they did both of these things it took us to a place we had gone, for gone to and cleared things up where the universe is so uh, what, what do you think, Miko?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially since saving a Wookiee is what turned Han Solo into a rebel slash scoundrel in the first place. Remember, he was a Imperial naval officer for a time when he saw the injustice of the Wookiees being and how they were being treated. That's when he chose to save Chewbacca and in the process ended up killing a superior officer and was immediately in trouble. So he had to go on the run, became a smuggler, and he and Chewbacca eventually became rebels. And seeing other saved. Wookies, who are without a doubt one of the best alien races in the Star Wars universe, yeah. was a great way to start off all of our journeys as new rebels of the Galactic Empire in this series. I was only disappointed we didn't go beyond the space dock on Kessel and actually right. see the spice mines. That would have been, you know, great if they'd gone down and rescued some of the Wookiees from down there, but I guess that, that wasn't in the cards. It just seemed like a missed opportunity for all of us to see something that was referenced in A New Hope and so many times in the novels. It would have been fun to actually see a Kessel mine, you know? Well,
1: well, well, they could always go back.
2: That is true. They could yeah. go back after more Wookiees to save them who have been shipped there from other locations or another raiding party at Kashyyyk.
1: You know, they'd probably never get him to do it, but it would be kind of fun if they did, you know, to advertise Episode 7 when that comes out, if they did a Rebels episode where we get that origin story of Han Solo and chief Oh, that would be cool. And then they tied it into the show.
2: That would be so cool and so unlikely.
1: <laughs> they never get Harrison Ford. I don't know if I'd accept it or personator, I don't know. Some but. of the
2: voice actors can do a spot on, so I mean... Yeah,
1: they did Obi-Wan pretty well. Oh yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, he He's so great, and I'll talk about him in a moment as one of my favorite things of the episode.
1: Right. Again, that could have been Ewan
3: McGregor in that scene. I don't
2: know. Oh, yeah. It's James Arnold Taylor, so great. He right. he was the guy who did the voice from the Clone Wars, as, as you know, Dan, but maybe some of our listeners don't necessarily. He just embodied Ewan McGregor's oh, Obi-Wan yeah. and brought him to life on... The the Clone Wars series and bringing him back oh such a great great thing
1: yeah and, and maybe we'll get to see him again I don't know
2: always a possibility
1: yeah get. Uh, really speaking of Jedi's Caden revealing himself because a Jedi when the Rebels became overpowered by Stormtroopers that was awesome did not think we we're going to see that in the episode but when they did it oh man awesome come on to cheer I'm like yes, yeah, this is Star Wars this is what I've been waiting for did this make you all giddy inside you know Cause... I was
2: really surprised by it I was really surprised by it I thought they were going to keep his Jedi status a secret for much longer longer in the series not from us the viewers or the team but from the Empire I thought they were going to keep him in the shadows and not reveal his abilities until much later in the first season I guess it was needed to reveal the Inquisitor character here in this pilot and yeah, set up the story them. arc for later in the season when we meet him or rather Ezra and Kanan meet him in battle still when he did reveal himself I was more than satisfied with that scene because it was pretty awesome it was pretty great you're right Dan I was just really yeah. surprised by it
1: good okay, and Freddie fringe Junior seems like he is like to be a Jedi
2: oh he well Was absolutely amazing at Comic Con. He, you could just tell that he loves Star Wars as much as we do, and that this is a dream come true for him to be a part of the Star Wars universe and to be part of the canon for the Star Wars universe. He is absolutely beyond the moon. He is absolutely. You could tell just from him talking because he dominated the the entire panel. Just yeah, he he was so excited to be there and so excited to be talking about it that he would jump in, and then someone else would would say something, and they would kind of turn to. Freddie and be like, uh, you got something to add? And he would just go off again. And yeah. he, uh, I mean, I know... Well, he was awesome as his character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's going to be an amazing Jedi in the series. He's going to be part Obi-Wan, part Mace Windu. You know, he's going to have...
1: But I think we're going to see a little bit of Mal Reynolds in him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be aiming to misbehave as well. Not
1: Because he lost his cause.
2: Not traditional Jedi uh, actions. He will still be driven by the Jedi code. He will all always right. still be, much like Malcolm was Always driven by his own personal code. I think we will see that in Kanan, and I think it's going to make for a great character. Parts we will see will be Obi Wan. Parts we will see be Mace Windu and his warrior s- style. Oh yeah. But I think he's going to be his own his own character, and that's what's going to make him so great. Yes, it's going to be a con- combination of so many other characters, but Freddie's going to bring such a great originality to it as well that you won't mistake Kanan for any other Jedi we've ever seen before. He's going to be his own character, and I think that. That's a testament to Freddie Prinze Jr.'s preparation for this role, his love of the character in the entire series, and just the writers knowing what they have in him as an actor and his ability to bring all these different things to the screen with his voice acting. And I think it's just going to be a really fun time to watch that character grow. And I think Ezra being his apprentice, P- Padawan, whatever you want to call him at this point, is going to be a really fun interaction. And we're going to see a lot of a lot of good stuff out of that, that character interaction.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Earth. And speaking of getting all Giddy inside, you know, we going back a little bit. Obi-Wan's message from episode three was just a brilliant way to kick off the continuation of this series and signify what it's all about. Yeah. God, did you like this conclusion and throw it at Obi-Wan? Oh
2: yeah, absolutely. And as I said, getting James Arnold Taylor back from the Cold War series to voice him again was amazing and perfectly passed off that series to the new Rebel series. Oh yeah. It kept the continuity going, kept it all seeming like it was all part of the same story, which it is. Is These are all part of the canon that is the official canon of the Star Wars universe, and I love that Kanan had the message stored in a Jedi holocron. I love those things. <laughs> and well, and
3: then it was a test for Ezra clearly. to prove that he was Force sensitive. That was cool
2: too. Definitely got me excited in this episode. All of that. I love this pilot, and really, it got me excited for the whole series. Okay, who are we kidding? I was already super excited about this series, but this episode kicked it up to eleven. Absolutely. I watched
3: it twice. It was so great. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is. Oh. I
2: watched it before it aired on Disney XD, and then i watched it uh or on online disney xd online and then i watched it on friday for the actual premiere of on disney xd so i, I d- definitely with you there for the double watch
1: yeah i was uh addicted to this show much like i got addicted uh, to the knights of the old republic video game
3: oh that was a great game
1: i got engrossed in that storyline because for much of the same reasons i got engrossed in this show Because so this is just like yes yeah knights of the old republic stuff absolutely so, great and uh, Excellent, excellent, excellent way to hold us over until episode 7. Agreed. Yep. So with that, we're going to talk about another cartoon show that I think is solid gold. Unfortunately, I feel like it's getting a bad rep as they were, I feel like they were forced in their final season, get forced off television online. I'm not real thrilled about that, but at least we get to see an end of the story. So let's talk about the Legend of Korra premiere episode called book four after all these years.
3: Earth. Fire.
2: Water. Three years after the events of the previous season, the vain Prince Wu is about to leave Republic City for his coronation as Earth King in Basingsei, and Mako joins him as his bodyguard. In the Earth Kingdom, Opal and Kai try to protect a community from bandits with limited success. Kavari, who now styles herself the Great Uniter, appears at the head of an army that includes Bolin, Varic, and Zunli, and offers the governor supplies and protection if he submits his state to her sovereignty, which he grudgingly does. Elsewhere, a despondent Korra is fighting and losing earthbending cage matches, having apparently renounced her identity as the Avatar.
3: I was
1: really surprised to see this season start out with a three-year time. It kind of made me feel like that the writers of the show had more story to tell. We're intending to have maybe three more books, but because of the leak online and low TV rooms and them being moved online, Nickelodeon said, okay, we're going to end the show. Can they jump things forward to what was their intended or originally intended ending point? I just find it interesting that they jumped like this. God, it's interesting. What's your thoughts?
2: I I disagree, Dan. I I know for a fact that The original plan was always to have four seasons, and the only change due to the leaks online was bumping up the release schedule. So rather than being next summer for book four, we get it this fall. And this fourth book was already in production and was luckily finished when Nickelodeon decided to push up season four to this month and also to bump it exclusively online. Thus, I believe this three-year time jump was always part of the plan, and it makes sense with how they ended book three with Korra being both physically and emotionally damaged and needing an emotional healing and walkabout-like journey we're going to see in the early part of this season. So I I think that this was always part of the, I I know this was always part of the plan.
3: Okay, well I mean
1: if it intentional that's fine. I just, sometimes with these time jumps I always, especially when it's an ending season, that they're, you know, trying to move ahead to what they intended their ending point to be.
2: Okay, yeah. A lot of times that's the case. This time it's not because this was the scheduled move. So that's a good thing. That's a really good thing.
1: And also you said the show was getting darker. Uh Especially without season three, book three Ended. Yep. So this kind of fits that happening. Yep. To where it's going, and again, they were getting to the point where you can only do so much with the BTs.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's online now because it, the the teens they, and adults will. Yeah, they'll go and seek this out because they love it, and it doesn't really fit with the network necessarily so much anymore. So it makes sense from a network standpoint that they want to try and move it off of. If they had a Nick teen I don't know that that's really. A... They're
1: doing. They're going more towards live action. Okay. Than animation. The only thing. I really can think of is the Ninja Turtles show that's a- animated on Nickelodeon right now, or or it's comedy stuff. Okay, God, so I just hope this doesn't make Nickelodeon shy away from still continuing to build upon this universe and do stuff because I still think they can make money from it.
2: to be honest I wouldn't mind them going to the movies and if it's animated movies great if it's live action that could be awesome too just as long as it's done well you know yes the last one was awful awful so and
1: it, this series has too much potential to be done sucking yeah, yeah. And, and, and Korra may apply better to a film situation live action film situation
2: I would love to see Korra in a live-action film, I think even if even if it was retelling the entirety of the four books into a single or two uh, live-action films, that would be awesome. Or if it was an extension, you know, that way it doesn't yeah. alienate some fans who loved this series and don't want to see it done live-action. You know, you could do it
1: with an adult Cora
3: or something like that.
2: Yes, move move the story forward that much that she's now a full adult. Everyone in the stories has progressed, and now you would see all of these characters in a more adult setting, I think that would be a lot of fun to see. But you
1: time time it enough that you can get away with re- reintroducing it to a new audience.
2: Agreed, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's, that's a good call. Uh, going back to the episode, though, so that's what we really should do. boland siding with the bad guys. At first, when I watched the episode, I didn't know if it sat well with me, because I don't like this idea of maybe him going up against Baco. Right. Or them going against each other. Hopefully, he'll see the error of his ways.
2: See, I think this is actually a great move in my opinion because Bolin is gullible. We all know it. He, he always yeah, he sees... The, to the end of the Earth. Yeah, he always sees the best in everybody which is a great characteristic in him and he would easily... Yeah, he would easily be fooled by the bad guys and think that they were doing good without really understanding the bigger impact of her forcing all these former Earth Nation states to join under her banner and pledge loyalty and fealty to her rather than to the future king. Plus, technically, Mako and Bolin are not on opposite sides of this power struggle because in reality they're not really because Mako has not any loyalty to the prince and is only his bodyguard because he was ordered to be him and when the coronation happened originally then he would have been allowed to go back and be a detective with the capital police until the prince decided he wanted Mako full time and Mako now doesn't have a choice but he's not loyal to to him so it's not really even putting Mako and Boleyn on opposite sides in reality. I mean it sort of appears that way but they're not really. You know they're not either of them really invested in the Person that they're following, maybe Bolin a little bit because he thinks that they're doing good work. But I think Mako could just very easily show him, look what, look what's happening, look what's going on.
3: Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: again, I, I maybe see it, Mako ending up on different sides when he gets in the Earth Kingdom. That's kind of what I thought was going to happen. Always a possibility. Yeah, but uh, speaking of what we saw in the Earth Kingdom, I thought the new Airbender uniforms are pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, they fit the girl characters a little bit better. <laughs> that, that's what I thought. I think that uh, the whole monk robes was kind of weird looking on the girl characters for what we saw last season so I'm that there's kind of more of a unisex thing going on with
3: that. Okay, yeah.
1: Um, and from a story standpoint I think they could have fit better fit the idea of the airbenders being led by a younger leader, Kazin Janora. Again, the lessons that Tensor learned come about letting the new airbenders be their own person. However, even though they have the cool wings that come out of their their suits, I do miss the classic airbender wooden gliders. Nico, what do you think the uniforms?
2: I like them. The wing suits are pretty awesome, but I admit the classic wooden gliders are a staple of the tree airbender nation, and I think it's unfortunate if they have gotten rid of them completely. But I have a feeling that both are used regularly and just some of the younger benders prefer the wingsuits. Because I don't
1: see Boomy in a wingsuit. <laughs>
3: right.
2: <laughs> but I do like them, and it fits with the change in time and the influence of the next generation of airbenders and Jinora's leadership like you said. Absolutely. Tenzin has learned from his mistakes and his insistence upon being traditional, and only tradition works. Whereas when you allow new things to happen Sometimes you get much better results. And I think that's what Tenzin learned through the last book. I think the third book, especially the second half, when the airbenders became more united and became a better force in the, in the, in the world, that was one of the major things he learned was I need to be open to change. That was the whole idea of the, the, the third book was change. He needed to be open to change and allow it to happen and realize it's not destroying the airbender tradition. It's evolving it. And I, I like that idea.
1: Right. And and the, the people who are airbenders now are a completely different ballgame than what was um, before Egg. Yeah. So you, you've got that too. And even Egg didn't fully agree with everything that the original airbender monks wanted to do.
2: No, he was always running off and doing his own thing.
1: So that, that fits... Kua Egg is, and the message that he has continued as the last Airbender. Exactly. So you're really respecting what he wants. And again, I think deep down, that's what Kengenorah. Yeah. And as well. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I like that. And I think the costumes, the new outfits, also fit the idea of them kind of running around like superheroes, saving the people they can and stuff like
2: that. That um, that image was sneaker. not lost and, on me. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit sleeker, and and it makes sense for what they're doing now. Agreed. Compared to just being monks. And then on the flip side of things, that was all positive stuff. Kind of sad, negative stuff was Cora being shown as an underground fighter, getting losing her match. And from when we saw that, it didn't seem like she could or used all of her bending abilities. So I feel like they've been
0: damaged or diminished
1: in some way. Or maybe it's something where she lacks the mental confidence to use them to her full potential. Mika, what do you think is going on with Korra? Dan, what do you think she'll feel comfortable enough to reunite with her friends?
2: Dan, I think she is lacking in confidence, and maybe that is blocking or influencing her abilities, but I don't think she has permanently lost her abilities or control, just her focus and confidence. I think she's going to have to go on a walkabout journey where she meets a new master to help her get her abilities and confidence back on track. As we saw in the season preview, yeah. she either meets or thinks she meets up with the missing Toph, who went on her own walkabout years ago, so maybe these two masters help each other fix whatever they need fixing and save the Republic one more time so that's where I see before going is Korra is all kinds of messed up mentally still and she's lacking confidence and that's why she can't she can't bend to her full ability and you know part of it might be physical where she still hasn't fully recovered from the the poison that, that nearly killed her at the end of book three and that because she's so mentally distraught still she's not able to get the physical skills back and I think it's only temporary I think she eventually will break through that and she will be able to do everything she was able to do again and become the the Avatar that we want and need but she's going to need this walkabout with Toph or the person she assumes to be Toph. I think that that's going to be where things go in the beginning of this book for and it's going to get her back. She's going to go through like a Luke on Dagobah sort of boot camp and get get back to being Korra.
1: Yeah and also I'm still holding out for the idea because this is the final season that there's going to be a
3: reunion between Team Avatar Oh, absolutely, there's going to be. So, that's going to be cool, too.
2: Whenever the Season 4 Big Bad reveals itself, or the, the conflict presents itself, Team Avatar will be brought back together, and it will bring Korra back from her walkabout. Right,
1: and I, and I agree, I How do you spell Kuvira? What's her name? Kuvira? Kuvira, the great Uniter character. Yeah, God, I don't foresee her as being the main Big
2: Bad. Okay.
1: I think she's an antagonist, and there's something else going on. Okay. Right now, but I could be wrong. Right. (laughs) Right. That seems like so. I think that covers that. Yeah. We'll continue more on speculation next week when the episode airs online Fridays at noon, just in case you don't know where it is. And that's at nick.com. Yep. All right. So with that, we're moving to the sitcom section. We're going to start things out with the Big Bang Theory, which really hasn't put off much of a bang this season. So let's talk about the episode, The First Bench Insufficiency. All
0: started with the Big bang. Bang
2: A nervous Wallowitz is thrown for a loop when NASA asks him to toss out the first pitch at a Los Angeles Angels baseball game. Meanwhile, Sheldon brags that he and Amy are a better couple than Leonard and Penny, so they set out to prove he's way off base.
1: My favorite comedic moment for this week's Big Bang Theory would have to be Raj and Bernadette Technolum of Howard for his lack of athletic ability, because he practiced to throw the first pitch at the Angels game. Personally, I thought Howard was going to succeed in making science look cool with throwing the first pitch, but I think the slowness of the Mars rover making it backfire was even better
3: because it was classed out.
1: Okay, I also love how this scene included the reaction of Shelby trying to convince Gaby to take him to Disneyland. But beyond that, this episode left me spacing out okay, Penny and Leonard's relationship. Can't they just marry these two off? can okay, put them in the background? Because the air of their characters on the show okay, is so much more fun to watch. Could okay, better fit the content. Nico, what was your favorite comedic moments or thoughts on this episode?
2: Dan, I thought this episode was much better than the first two of the season. I agree. Sure, the Leonard and Penny crap was distracting, but the entire Howard stressing over the first pitch and initially being so excited about it and then being horrified was pretty great. Rajan Bernadette's hazing of him was pretty great as well but I also loved Mike Massimino's razing of Howard I thought that was the best part of it
1: yeah I wanted to give you that so I know you're a big fan of him
2: I am Mike Massimino is a great American hero true astronaut been in space a bunch of times and he's a great NASA astronaut because he is both active in the science community but he's a great spokesman for NASA and as I mentioned earlier in the, in the Doctor Who section I am a huge proponent of manned spaceflight, and Mike Massimino is a hero of mine because he is such a great astronaut and and such a promoter of of the whole NASA program. And all of it's not just manned spaceflight, but the Mars rover and everything, the Jupiter missions, all of the different missions that NASA does. He's a big proponent of that and an outspoken supporter of spaceflight and everything to do with NASA. So I'm a big fan of him. I love seeing him. And
1: and a very big advocate of working with other nations.
2: Yes, that is absolutely true. You're 100% right on that. And he's actually trying to get the law against us working with the Chinese repealed because he thinks that's a huge mistake but that's off on another tangent we don't right. need to go down I thought Howard's Mars Rover was going to throw the ball and be a success for Howard but the complete failure of it was a nice throwback to the joke about Raj and Howard oh, yeah. allowing those girls that were trying they were trying to impress to into the Mars Rover control room and driving the Mars Rover into a rut and getting it stuck all those seasons ago I thought that was a much better idea than actually having it successful because Howard always tries to use his engineering to prove that engineers are just just as good as scientists, and he totally backfired on him this week. Great stuff. I'll, anyway, the whole episode was much better this week and it actually made me laugh quite a few times. Still not as great as we've seen in the past but better than what we got in the first two episodes. Yeah,
3: I agree with that.
1: But I was a little scared because it's better but that relationship killing me. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's brutal.
1: Alright, so with that we're going to move on to talking about New Girl. An episode that really had an awkward encounter with titled Julie Brooklyn's Colder Sister.
3: Hey
2: Jess's dad visits and brings along his new girlfriend, who turns out to be Jess and Cece's old high school rival. Meanwhile, Schmidt tries to land a big account at work and recruits the other guys to participate in a focus group.
1: My favorite comedic moment from this week's Got New Girl would have to be Jess meeting Julie Brooks' older sister or her dad's got girlfriend's got sex sponsor, <laughs> sex sponsor. sponsor. Yeah. And his response to Jess being, well, I'm glad you're not black. It was just one of those random like, moments that new girl could only pull off where it, you just burst out laughing from... Just just the sheer craziness of everything that's going on. You know, everything with Jess, it being uncomfortable with her dad. You know, her thinking that they're have God, the girlfriend's ever going to fair All this stuff, it just blew up into the scene. God, I just couldn't help but laugh at this guy. Because it's like Pat Sajak, game show voice, just said to Jess, thank God you're not black. It's just weird. It's just funny. God, the new girl, they always make the randomness. Got Absolutely hilarious. And also the flashback to the dad's girlfriend, the
2: ex-girlfriend that faked me, God, paraplegic. Yeah. It's pretty funny as well.
1: A uh, little bit pushing the envelope, but it was funny. So, Nico, what was your favorite comedic moments?
2: Yeah, my favorite comedic moments, first and foremost, that advertisement at the end about the sponge that used all of Nick's yes. ideas. That was classic New Girl. Spongy McWipey. The man sponge. Because the dirtiest thing in your room should be me. I also love the word association where every time Schmidt said sponge, all the guys kept saying sponge.
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> Coach's comment about prairie dogging, where he got so scared about the fight going on that the crap he was taking got sucked back up. That was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Nick asking Schmidt about him giving him some privacy with the girl coming over.
0: Speaking of sharing a bedroom, Brittany's coming over tonight. to uh, need 10 to 15 minutes of privacy for, I don't need 15 minutes, that's excessive. Give me five to 10. That feels braggy. Give me three to five, but no less than three, because that's rude to girls.
2: Now, I wasn't a whole—I wasn't a huge fan of the whole dad's girlfriend arc of this episode, but there were a few good one-liners in there, and you—you you mentioned most of them, Dan, so I don't need to go over any more of them. But overall, it was a pretty great episode. I—I I think, besides the premiere, which I think was the best so far this season, this was right up there. I think this was the yeah. second best. Yeah.
1: Little felt that Rob Ryder's guest appearance was a little disappointing this week. Yeah. And it's fully utilized.
2: Agreed, agreed. It was a it was a weird concept and I think they got as much out of it as they could. I just Yeah I don't know. It wasn't my, my favorite part either.
1: He yeah, yeah, but again he's had some good ones in the past, so we're not gonna knock him too much.
2: So. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: Okay, with that we're going to move on to talking about a Modern family episode that I thought was a lot of fun fellow legal wise. Entitled Do Not Push. <laughs>
2: Jay and Gloria's anniversary Creates a dilemma When they can't decide What kind of gifts to give Elsewhere The Dumfies tag along On Alex's tour of Caltech But Phil Luke and Haley Get wrapped up In a campus experiment While Claire tries to Convince her to go there And Mitchell Cameron And Lily pose for A new portrait Over their mantle
1: My favorite comedic moment From this week's Modern family Would have to be the whole Do not push the red button Argument Get Luke's shot in the dark You're angry at yourself Routine Then he pulled on Phil Luke and Phil's stories Are some of our favorite Parts of this show And I'm glad to see them Evolve with Luke's age okay, also got a good laugh out of Gloria breaking Jay's sentimental gift, of a ceramic rabbit, thinking there was jewelry inside. Nico, what was your favorite comedic moments from this episode?
2: Absolutely, Dan, you nailed it. The best part of this episode was the push the button discussion and how they thought it was the test. I love the payoff that it turned out only to be a Scantron test, and the red button was nothing more than a screwed up AC unit. I'm glad they are going back to Luke and Phil story arcs because I felt that last season they spent a lot of time pairing Manny and Luke, and I thought the Luke and Phil stuff is so much better, and it's always been your and my favorite stuff of the entire series so that's what I'm looking forward to this season is a lot more Luke and Phil especially now that Luke is getting older and they can go into a lot of different areas that'll be fun yeah
1: right because last season they seemed like they were like well Luke is only getting older he needs to stay away from because I'm glad this season's kind of going back to them interacting again yeah good stuff yeah so with that we're going to do a watch it or not on a new show that's arrived on ABC starring Karen Goyan who we of course love from the again John show who's alive this time on the show yep like so let's talk about that romantic comedy sitcom Selfie with its pilot. Let me
2: take a
1: selfie. A self-obsessed pharmaceutical salesman who is mega popular on social media needs help, making friends, and being like a new robot. And so she turns to a marketing genius for television. Can a serious premiere come this modern take on my family?
2: My favorite comedic moment from this week's selfie would have to be everything John shows. Yes,
3: here's the best part of it.
2: From his rant about the selfie in general, which I wholeheartedly agree with, by the way, to his big old kiss on the mouth with David Hayward because he had read an article saying, You know
3: read an article that said Asian men are more comfortable kissing on the mouth as a sign of friendship. They're not. I'm... All right, well, I'll forward it to you.
2: I also love the answer to John Cho's questions of Eliza, like when he asked her what was she most confused by, and she responded, Plus high skinny jeans. It's like, why? I enjoyed this pilot way more than I expected. I mean, seriously, I'm going to watch a show called Selfie when I hate the entire idea of selfies? Not That's likely. But it has John Cho and more importantly, Amy Pond, also known as Karen Gillan, who I absolutely love. She is amazing. I love her. This series was created by Emily Kapnick, who also created a surprise hit, Suburgatory, that I absolutely loved as well. She has a unique ability to take a premise that seems borderline stupid and mine gems out of them by casting amazing people and exploring beneath the surface of the characters and loading each episode with heartfelt themes and ideas. Amazing characters are what made *Suburgatory* a success and is what will keep me coming back for selfie despite the terrible name. How about you, Dan? What are your thoughts and favorite comedic moments for this episode?
3: Well I think you just about hit it on the head of a child show.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Get all the lines at the and really he was the best part of this episode. Gob, I knew he would be. Gob, really he's just great with the things he does. Karen Gilliatt, I feel like she is having a hard time with the accent type a little bit. I kind of felt like we there need we could have gotten more out of her, I don't know.
2: I, I totally agree. The only reason I think they didn't allow her to use her Scottish accent is because she'd be too lovable. We need to hate yeah. her to start, right. and, and
1: that's, that's why. I'm like, I'm not. Yeah, gonna dog it too much.
2: Yeah, I I don't think it's a bad American accent. I think it's okay. It's just
1: I think
3: it will improve as the show goes on. Too.
2: I just think we love her with her normal accent, yeah. and it, it makes it difficult. I still I I still I I still loved her in this episode. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It it was. I think I'm still seeing Amy Pond every time I see her.
1: <laughs> yeah, and again, we need to get away from that. Yeah, because the way Emily Kapnick is writing to could intending to do her, it works.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: I I, I do want to say that. My concern with the show. Is I feel like it makes a good movie. Okay, I just don't know how long. You know, they eventually have to reach a point where she's not full of herself anymore.
2: I think we're okay, going to get there fairly do, quickly.
1: Yeah. I, just, I don't know what you do then.
2: I think then you just continue the progression. You continue her, and then you have to set up love interests. You have to.
1: Lucky wrench stuff with John Jellicker.
2: Exactly. Because they're going to get to. There's going to be romantic tension, but at the same time, they're going to try to keep it friends and become friends, and then maybe eventually. But, you know, I, I just think they're going to throw things at them that are going to be fun. And it's going to be more about continuing the sitcom section and less about the actual initial premise. Although he will continue to help her in interactions and she may stumble and fall back on her old ways sometimes. And there'll be some some fun interactions that way. I agree. This does seem more like a movie setup, but I, I'm enjoy- I enjoyed the pilot. So I'm going to continue watching.
1: Yeah, here's my verdict. I'm going to continue watching because I'm interested in how these two characters get together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be difficult for me to find a comedic moment oh yeah I agree because of the show um, this is more of a
2: story-generated show or story-focused show.
1: I mean, we're gonna laugh at it. And there's gonna be funny parts, but it's not like big bang theory.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think we need to add this to our weekly discussions. Right. I, I I think I'm gonna watch it every week, but I don't think we need to necessarily add it. I don't I don't know that it really fits our formula. Right, but it is worth watching. Oh, absolutely.
1: Okay, if you like romantic comedies, you like these acts. Check it out. Okay, it's one of the better first episodes or better pilots I saw this, uh, so far this year. Agreed. So. That settles that. I think people are tired of us yakking. I agree. Because we've just about covered every facet of television. So let's go out to the closing. Can Nico, you want to tell everybody what we're doing next week?
2: Yeah, on next week's episode, we will have a News with Nico section with all the TV and entertainment news that has come out in the next week. And we will continue to cover the new series of Doctor Who with an in-depth discussion on the Doctor Who's Season 8, Episode 8, entitled Mummy on the Orient Express. And we will have our reviews of Castle, Sleepy Hollow, and Person of Interest, the premiere of Supernatural, Legend of Korra, and Star Wars Rebels, and our sitcom section, including episode of big bang theory new girl and modern family so join us next week for all of that we will also be continuing our brand new dc nation podcast with the third episode of fox's gotham and the premieres of cw's the flash and arrow on that podcast as well yes. also remember that our entire back catalog is available for you just getting caught up on any of the shows we cover go back and catch dan and my thoughts on the episodes the podcast will return in full force with new episodes of all our favorite shows that as they premiere and of course we will continue with weekly episodes covering doctor who until thanksgiving But for even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows, check out the blogs available on our website at acrosstheairways.com. Now roll that pre-recorded closing.
0: And also, you could check out our spin-off podcast. do you want to help me in describing
2: the first one? Sure. The Hello Carriers podcast, which is Andy's podcast on our network, dedicated to covering episodes of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We also have It's Tangent Time, which is Michael and Wu, and they talk about all kinds of things, geek-related, nerd-related, all the great stuff that we talk about in super in-depth, way more than you could do in a single episode of one of our other podcasts. So they dive deep in those episodes and talk about it. And sometimes they just go off on major tangents. That's why it's called Tangent Time. Exactly. We also have the back catalog of Longbow Hunters, the Arrow podcast, which has officially wrapped up, but all of our back catalog is available. So if you are going back and watching the first two seasons of Arrow again, you can go back and listen to Woo and Michael's discussions on any of those episodes. And all the new Arrow episodes will be along with Gotham, The Flash, and Constantine in the new revamped DC Nation podcast, which will be Dan and I talking all things DC. It's going to be awesome.
0: And okay, that will still be available on the regular KTA feed as well as its own feed on iTunes, just so you're not confused. Yep. Can okay, you can also contact our podcast through email, Got kind of across the airwaves at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, Got kind of across airwaves. There's those on there. It's just across the airwaves or Google
2: plus. Can you, go, how else can you, you can leave a voicemail at 773-809-3363. Give us thoughts, feedback, or a review of any of the shows we aren't currently reviewing, or tell us what you want us to review. You can do all of that by calling 773-809-3363 and leaving a voicemail. And how can you listen to our show if you don't
0: know so already?
2: You can listen to our show through Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and the Mix Radio Network thanks to our good friend Jack Stifle. And
0: okay, you can also listen to our episodes. By visiting our website at www.acrosstheairways.com.
1: So, once again, for our ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Abey, Andy Mabacht, Luke Kevin, Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmidt.
0: And
2: I'm Nico Rystick.
1: Okay, until our next episode, we will catch you on the airwaves. See you, everybody. Have a great week. And hopefully, some of our shows that were disappointed this week will pick it up next week. See ya. Leave.
3: Don't leave me. Look around. Choose your own ground the Long you live and high you fly, the
0: smiles will give and tears you'll cry, and all you touch and all you see
3: is all your life will ever be. Let's done the biggest wave Race towards the never
1: grave. Jeffster laughs, man! We now return to our regularly scheduled program.